Hi, this is Amanda and welcome to the Very Curious Herbal and the first, um, the first recording, first story for 2020. So Happy New Year to you all. Um, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, I, yeah, I've decided to start the year with a look at coffee. Elizabeth Blackwell in A Curious Herbal notes that, that coffee is probably a benefit for people with a phlegmatic disposition. Those that are a bit solid and or stolid even, a bit more mm, weighty, damp um, as a as a as a sort of energetic property is what I associate with phlegmatic. And you know, needing a little bit of using up a little bit of get up and go she kind of notes it's not so effective for people with a hot and energetic temperament so maybe I shouldn't be drinking coffee or maybe it's the coffee that makes me hot and energetic I don't know I could be here hours unraveling my interaction with coffee what I will say is that I love a cup of really strong coffee in the morning I'd go further and say that I don't function without one I've tried a cup of tea. I love a cup of tea. Herbal, chai, all types of tea. But really, the one cup of coffee I like a day, like three double espressos rolled into one mug, is a hot, thick, black, rich cup of coffee. And it's the only thing that works. And I feel a bit like January, at the very beginning of the year, is kind of a bit stolid, a little bit stuck, it's damp, it's dreech is the Scottish word, it's dreary and grey outside, it's cold and just sticky like mud. It feels like the longest month after the merriment of Christmas and Hogmanay and although we want to get back to work and we'd love to get on one of these detox regimes and um that kind of thing. It's not necessarily the best weather. It's not really conducive towards it. Certainly not here in, in Scotland. But you know, a little bit of coffee and you may feel that spring in your step. Your brain may start to fizz and energise again. It may help liven you up just enough to get through January. So pretty much that's why I've chosen it. Um, Coffee has this effect because it um, it blocks the activity of adenosine, um, which is a neurotransmitter. Adenosine, pretty much, um, its main purpose, uh, my understanding of it is, and you know, this is not my expert field, but my 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 basic understanding of adenosine is that it, it makes us tired and sleepy, and caffeine by blocking the uh, adenosine receptors keeps us feeling keeps us feeling more alert and, and stops the effects of fatigue. On top of that, research into coffee pretty uh, accurately, I'm, I'm, they're fairly certain of this, uh, has discovered that, that another, as well as the, the blocking of the adenosine receptors, it also, caffeine has this um, rather profound effect on most of the other uh, major neurotransmitters. So think dopamine, you know, the the thing that makes us as happy, uh, serotonin, 
uh, well, I can never say this one. I can see it written down. E E A C E T Y L C H O I L I N E. Uh, Acetyl choline, choline, um, and but and and nor nor I can never say norepinephrine either. Ah, I hated. I used to hate that with um with physiology um at, at college. I heard certainly home physiology go, oh no, the names of neurotransmitters. But I know dopamine, serotonin, and adenosine, the ones best, those are the ones I paid loads of attention to because they were the ones that, that really intrigued and fascinated me. Those those things that tend to have a massive effect on our mood. Uh, it can increase the caffeine can increase the transmission of dopamine and that in turn improves our mood and can it's thought people are beginning to think that it probably protects brain cells from age and disease related um, problems and degenerative illnesses it can have a little bit of a role in that or or help improve that situation and it can also with the other ones the ones I can't pronounce well I'm a storyteller you know <laughs> Pronouncing complex medical terms for neurotransmitters is now no longer part of my remit, but it can also increase muscular activity. You'll know for yourself that feeling of tiredness that a cup of coffee then takes away and helps you remember things that you've forgotten. It can adjust and heighten the levels of serotonin, therefore acting just probably in the short term, but maybe, you know, with continued use, and I'm talking about not huge amounts of filter coffee, I'm tying this in with small amounts of well-made real coffee, give the filter stuff and the instant amiss, but that it can in fact help relieve depression, it will make you more relaxed, a little bit more alert and energised and, and can help remove, relieve a headache. These are some of the things they're researching coffee about. So, you know, that sounds like a cure to cure for January blues to me. Coffee's got a long history. It's believed that it, it, it originates in Ethiopia, uh, the Oromo ethnic group. Um, there is evidence to suggest they're the very first people to consume coffee. And that fits in perfectly with a story I love. One about um, the origin of coffee and how it was discovered. The Oromo people uh, are said to have like ground up the, the the ripe coffee cherries in a pestle and mortar, probably mixing it in with um, butter or something else. They, they're a nomadic group um, with a uh, you know cattle herding was part of their their existence um, and then rolled the balls into rolled balls of coffee and, and probably butter and uh, carried it around as a sort of portable energy food. And that ties in with recipes for coffee right up until the 17th and 18th century where butter was quite often seen as an addition and coffee has got an incredible ability to pass through the body pass into the body and affect all layers. So it's one of the few things that um, can get through to the brain, for example, because it's fat soluble and it, it doesn't, um, it isn't as affected by barriers as, as some things are. 
so yeah, there's, there's this wonderful, wonderful story. It said that uh, a goat herder, let's call him Caldi, discovered that uh, watching his goats every day, day in, day out, that as a noon sun reached high up into the sky and a natural lethargy overtook the land. Even the trees seemed to sway more slowly. The sun shone hot. Many animals lay down in the shade and slept. Would watch as the noon moment passed that his goats would seek out the ripe cherries of the coffee plants and Pretty soon after eating these cherries, they would start hopping and skipping, nudging each other playfully, run around and seek fresh green plants to feast on. A twinkle in their eye and a, a lightness to their cloven hooves. He decided he would try one of these cherries for himself and was amazed by how the ideas suddenly flooded into his brain, how his mood picked up, how he felt energised and capable of taking anything on. He discovered, he decided that these must be the work of God and took them in his cupped hands carefully to the monastery. He showed them to the monks who stared at him with bewilderment and mistrust. What would a goat herder know about gifts from God? He explained how his goats became energetic, that they didn't want to sleep at night. And the monks watched as the goats danced about. The abbot pro proclaimed that the berries were the work not of God, but of the devil himself. He took them up gingerly, holding them far from his body and with disgust threw them onto the fire to be rid of these dangerous things. However, as the fire licked the berries, the most amazing scent began to fill the room, which point the abbot rather speedily decided that Caldy was right. These were not the work of Satan. These were the work of God and must be saved. Hastily, a monk scraped them out of the fire and plunged them into water in hope to save the fine aroma. Later on that night, the abbot slipped down and sipped the water that the berries had been sunk into and found it kept him alert through his long hours of evening prayer. The next morning he shared his discovery with his followers. That was the beginning of coffee as we know it. The work of God, or so the abbot proclaimed, giving them the power to think, talk, and discuss things late into the night. Word eventually moved east and coffee then reached the Arabian Peninsula and it began a journey 
from there with the trade routes that would bring coffee beans around the world. Eventually they end up in, in Britain and the first um, coffee shop was opened up in Oxford and rapidly in the mid-17th century one opened in London and they soon became a vital part of, of London life. Now I say London life, male London life, because there were originally um, only the sole preserve of men. They were men only. And um, they became, but they became incredibly uh, vibrant spots. All classes drank coffee. Tea was not, um, not, a, not a drink in the UK at the time that was widely accepted. And um, many aspects of social and political, commercial and creative life happened, was centred around the coffee shop. Different ones had different groups. And so there was um, Jonathan's Coffee House in Change Alley, which was where the stockbrokers usually met. And it eventually sort of developed into the London Stock Exchange. There was the you know there were there were Lloyd's coffee house on Lombard Street, and that there again this is around the marine industry, so insurance brokers, ship owners um and the you know that's claimed in the in Lloyd's of London sort of history that that oh, that's the start of Lloyd's of London. Johann Sebastian Bach composed his coffee cantata uh, in seventeen thirty two That's how influential coffee was. It was um, an ode to the delights of coffee, but also a bit of a, a, a jibe um, at the German movement to prevent women drinking coffee because it was believed to make them uh, infertile. But, uh, <laughs> oh dear. Um, but uh, you know, coffee was absolutely um, the most fashionable drink across Europe in the 1700s. It got introduced um, in complete contrast to a lot of the herbs in Elizabeth Blackwell's Curious Herbal. Coffee is introduced, it hits Britain long before it hits America. It wasn't introduced to America until um, the early 1700s, 1714 or so. Um, and it, but it, it, strength, it went from strength to strength. It was still being drunk widespread here throughout the 18th century um, until the British East India Company much later on started to import tea in bulk. But even uh, Jane Austen um, at the end of the, the 18th century, so I'm thinking 1799, but don't quote me on that because I'm going off the top of my head. Um, Jane Austen is talking about people uh, serving coffee. So you know, by that point, clearly women are getting to drink it too. Hurrah! Uh, but way back before Elizabeth Blackwell's born in 1674, there's actually a women's petition against coffee in London because they were complaining that men were never at home because they were out drinking coffee. King Charles II, uh, around the same time, tried to suppress the coffee houses because he thought that they were potentially hotbeds of revolution. Um, but there was such an outcry against his proclamation that the ban really didn't last at all. But um, so basically there's loads going on. Coffee in Elizabeth Blackwell's day was a vital and major part of life in London 
and across the UK. She, um, I, I know that uh, Hans, Sir Hans Sloan, who Elizabeth Blackwell we know was friends with, who was one of her supporters um, and helped her develop her work and um, sort of helped her with her, her studies at Chelsea Physic Garden, was a huge fan of coffee. Um, and and that entirely fits in with with how coffee was. It you know it was drunk by um, uh, influential influential people. Um, you know a uh, clientele of of the King's Coffee House, which I'll get on to in a minute because it's got a lovely story of its own. But I said to include Hogarth, Henry Fielding, who mentions the coffee house. Um, a couple of times, Alexander Pope, uh, you know, were, these were people all drinking coffee. So writers, uh, as well as politicians, and major, major, major um, influential people with a lot of money, as well as all kinds of thieves and other folk. It was, you know, it was that blocking of the adenosine receptors that ability for coffee to prevent fatigue, to get the brain firing and thinking of new ideas, like those dancing goats, had this sudden change that's absolutely in its heyday, as Elizabeth Blackwell is illustrating, that that is down to coffee, that, that makes this such an interesting plant in this book and during at this period of history. So I promised a little bit more about King's Coffee House in Covent Garden. I remember walking past um, where it was and being told years ago when I was um, walking around Covent Garden with a friend and her mum and dad about the coffee houses and about um, Mole King's Coffee House. Funny how these weird little stories stick in your mind and you kind of come back to them years later. I've got a brain set for storytelling at certain at a certain level. But yeah, Mole King, Mary King, they may have been men only places, but didn't stop women at women owning them and running them. There are loads of tall tales about Mary Mole King. She um she's meant to have, according to some sources, been a pickpocket, a thief. Being going to Newgate Jail from pinching watches and valuable belongings from ladies' pockets. She was told she would be transported on several occasions, it's alleged. And she was apparently, according to another source, the notorious uh, accomplice of one Jonathan Wilde, who ran a, a gang of thieves. It's said she met Daniel Defoe in Newgate, and he used her as inspiration for Mole Flanders. But a lot of these tall tales have twisted through time, and we really can't be sure what Mole King's background was. We do know that eventually she met her husband, a man whose um, claims are almost as wild as Elizabeth Blackwell's own husband's. Um, He's meant to have been the, um, his mother is meant to have been the daughter of a baronet and his father was a, a, a squire and um, 
they were all quite well to do. He claims to have gone to uh, Eton, I think, and um, made university. He's he has all sorts of sort of aspirational claims that aren't necessarily founded in truth. But um, eventually, he meets he meets Mole, and they set up uh, a, a stall selling nuts in Covent Garden Market. They made enough money to rent a, a wooden shack in the piazza at Covent Garden and began selling coffee, tea and chocolate that's reputed to the market stallholders, naming their business the King's Coffee House. It was soon known informally as King's College. It was said you could learn as much in a coffee shop for a penny as you could in a university, a penny being the price for a cup of coffee. I'm sure that's maybe true, but you'd have had to keep your eyes open and talk to the right people. They opened very early every morning as the market traders started and set up their stalls. They're also reputed to have sold strong liquors alongside the coffee. They attracted considerable amount of custom, especially amongst those who ventured into Covent Garden after the twilight hours seeking pleasure, not just from coffee and hard liquor, but um, from women of the night and fashionable young men. They were open all the way through the night, it said, and maybe that's why they attracted so many writers. Those nights where stories are thrashing their way around your brain and you want to get up and, and start writing feverishly, but sleep is trying to drag you away from words. By 1732, as Elizabeth is arriving in London and starting to study the plants in Chelsea Physic Garden, the Kings were buying two adjoining properties and expanding their business. The new Covent Garden Theatre was opening, fortunately for them, next to their coffee house. They, um... Then went on to have a, a strange <laughs> moment in that they they then became more and more they became more and more respectable. They bought property, Mary and Tom King, um in Hampstead and and uh unfortunately at this point however Tom dies and um Mary is left a widow. She grieves for a while but uh, a year after her husband's death she marries Gem. Now, people say she married for she was married for her money, but really, I'm not sure how much proof there is for that because, um, as it happens, she outlives her husband. He passes away after only four months and leaves all his money to her. She goes on to have a considerable um, degree of success with her coffee house, and you know she's legendary. I've shared photos um, from the British Museum up on the Facebook group, Botanica Fabulousness, and a little bit of uh, Mole King's story on there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's I just think it's an intriguing plant. It's one we're all familiar with still, and used appropriately rather than just swilling them out and great low-quality amounts of the stuff. Um, has a a rather lovely um, 
medical dynamic, I think. Um, it's it's a lovely thing, coffee. I won't hear a word against it. I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, and it's one that I've really enjoyed showing the story of. So I suggest, with your brain buzzing with this information, if I've left you feeling tired, that you go away and refresh yourself with a very small, strong cup of coffee. I've posted up in the group um, an 1808 recipe for how it was made and, and that hadn't changed for a very long time. A little different to the way we prepare it now, but easy enough to replicate. And then sit and, and just inhale that aroma and if you're not a coffee drinker, just maybe indulge yourself in, with um, smelling a handful of beans or, or making a small cup for a friend and then inhaling that scent and think about all the things it started this is the start of 2020 thank you very much for joining me i think next week we'll be looking at apples just in time for wassailing week um and i look forward to talking to you all then thank you very much for listening bye